0: a simple question which needs practice and it has this taboo and it's all this nonsense around like you know the stigma around how awkward or whatever get over it it's a simple question it's just have you been thinking about taking your own life.
1: Jackson Godding put himself on the path to becoming a psychotherapist for men when he lost a mate to suicide as is often the case for those directly affected by suicide feeling that immense pain motivated him to do something about it Already a trained psychologist, he started working for Lifeline while completing a master's degree in psychotherapy and counseling with the specific intention to treat men grappling
0: with mental illness and addiction. I don't know if you've ever received advice, a lot of the time it's it's not helpful, it's not asked for either.
1: Jackson has lived experience of depression, anxiety and relationship issues and now uses the lessons he learned from the dark times he went through to help other men overcome their obstacles.
0: I tell everybody that. That's hard to hear. It's, not, it's a hard hard thing to, to get your head around. It's like, what do you mean? I'm not going to be better than the beast. It's like, no, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing that you find freedom.
1: He runs his own psychotherapy practice in Sydney called Fine Reason Therapy and manages to coordinate a drug and alcohol service too. He's dedicated his life to serving men and has plenty to share that can help all of us help ourselves and our mates. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast all about young men's health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's do it. So Jackson, when did it hit you that men's mental health was an area that really needed your energy and attention?
0: Mate, I was, how old was I? I was probably 20, I think. I was I was at uni and it's a pretty crazy story. We were selecting the the things that we were wanting to do for placement. You had a list of your top six. And my top one and top two were just general things in the community, you know, helping with, with students or, um, going and practicing in a clinic. And, um, what I ended up getting at the time was my sixth choice. Now everybody else was getting their first and second choice. My, which you know, bloody bullshit. <laughs> my sixth choice was, um, was suicide prevention Australia. And that's, was going to be developing an app to actually support people going through mental health. And it actually, the the project that we were doing actually helped to develop what's called um, beyond now, which is an amazing suicide prevention app. Um, that's yeah, massive now in Australia. Now the, the, the next part of that story gets crazy at the same time in the same tutorial, that I was trying to find out this and being pissed off that I got my sixth thing. Um, my mate left, left the room um, and came back and didn't come back and what i was soon found out is that one of our good mates had just killed himself and you know my whole body sort of just sort of shut down in that moment and he was a lot closer than than i was to him but you know still quite a i guess a good mate and yeah it just like rocks me and then obviously like the coincidence of me getting my sixth choice being suicide prevention just really started that that whole journey for me. So that, that, that I guess was the start of it. Mm. Fast forward to the actual funeral. So um, I'm down in Sydney and he went to um, a private boys school um, in the North shore and the funeral was packed as you can imagine. Um, just so many of his mates and close mates and outside of school mates. And yeah, it was just, uh, so I didn't go to his school, so I was a bit further back and all the boys were together, you know, surrounding him at the front of the front of the, um, the venue. And just the shock and disbelief of people and, and his good friends just having no idea that he was struggling with depression, having no idea that um, anything was going wrong for him to the point of thinking and considering suicide. And... You know, at the time I'm studying psych, I'm quite a young psych, still being a little bit of a rat bag, you know, straight out of school, going what, you know, still going, I wonder what I'm going to actually do with psychology. What am I actually going to do with counselling? Yeah,
1: so you just had like a general interest in it, but you weren't sure where you were going to take it.
0: Yeah, I I didn't. I wasn't, you know, I I didn't know how I was going to niche down yet. And and just the lack of awareness and the lack of um, ability for this guy to reach out at the time, Um, And this is also at the time where depression and anxiety was starting to get on the rise, I guess a little bit. This was only like five, six years ago and yet still no one had, had a clue. And that was when I was like, you know what, I can make a difference. Like I can, I can start to do this sort of thing. I can put suicide prevention on the map. I can educate all my close friends with this stuff and I can stop and prevent this from happening. And yeah, it was from there, it just sort of was like, cool, this is, this is all I want to do now and this is what I want to focus on.
1: And I guess taking that on, you know, that suddenly that's driven by some very deep, strong emotions. Just take us through, you said obviously it rocked you and I totally relate to that because the same thing happened to me, but just um, how did it change your perspective on life and, and what did you take away from going to that funeral? What are some of the, the deep feelings and memories that you have from that, that moment?
0: I don't tell the story that much but when i do tell like my body sort of still goes through like you know goosebumps and and chills down my back so even yeah. today it's still it's such a highly driven emotional experience to me and i'm so aware of that in in my body mm. uh, at, at the time it was just it was just gut-wrenching to see how many people were so impacted by it and and and, and, and you know direct impact on me you know being quite a cl- close friend and, and even someone in this profession's not, having no idea, no idea that was going on for him. Well, that's the
1: scariest thing about it and what we see also all too often is, um, you know, people who others would never have guessed, they never think that someone would be, you know, even depressed or certainly not to that level and it's just so insidious how much it can uh, develop and, and people can get really, really, really dark without others noticing.
0: The big, the biggest impact on me was, was my powerlessness just how powerless I was in that moment at that time. And then, you know, coming out of the doors of, of that funeral and just seeing the pure grief of, of each, like, you know, strong young man coming out of there, pulling their eyes out and not knowing how to control or contain themselves. And I think that, I guess, the power in that, there's a lot of hindsight there where it's like, you know, witnessing that sort of thing and the power of what what these feelings have have created for so many people was was actually a big part of the drive because there's a reason people are so emotional about this stuff because they did not want it to happen and they wished they could do something about it before it was too late.
1: The thing that really struck me going to my friend's funeral as well was how many people there were there and how many people were so desperately upset by it. And it just showed that there were all these people there for him who loved him this much, but yet he got himself into a state where he couldn't see that, and I, I think probably saw himself as a as a burden. And uh, it's just like people who end up uh, in this state; they have so many people around that that do love them that probably they could reach out to, but it's 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 lost in that um, in that spiral. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely, definitely think it's. Um... You know, I, I I probably experienced it similar, similarly a lot of those feelings in my past as well. I actually might might have happened after that, not directly related to that, but just through my own difficult relationships and and um, you know just learning how to what my identity was and learning more about myself and and going through some really tough and hard challenges. Um, the big thing for me was really noticing depression come in and and letting it be really overwhelming and taking control. And then the anxiety on top of that. And then that masked with the fact that I am a professional trying to study to help people. And I was afraid to ask for help. Mm. I was, I was terrified that if I'm unwell, how the fuck am I supposed to be well for others? Yeah. And you know, like, and, and help them, and and that really played a lot on my mind. And there was a point where I was suicidal, um, um, you know, briefly for for one point in that. And the, the massive part of all that was, you know, I really I really resonated with anyone that's that's been through that stuff. And it is that dark, dark place that you were saying that that is doesn't really it doesn't it, it defies logic and reason.
1: Well, I suppose that that's probably helpful to you now because it allows you to understand that depth of. Feeling and you can really relate to sort of what people go through and the fact that it's not necessarily logical. You know, a lot of it's emotional and you understand that better than most, which must be really useful in your um, professional work. When did you experience your mental health struggles?
0: The biggest impact for me when I started really struggling with it was I was in a relationship and I guess we both, you know, every, when you're in a relationship, you, you meet a person and they bring all of their shit. And then you bring all of yours and then you try and have a healthy relationship or you try and, you know, mesh together and figure something out. Now it, that has so much variables of whether that's going to go well or not go well. And for me um, I really struggled and, and I really started to have a big impact with my depression and, and yeah, I think I was about twenty, twenty two, twenty three, 22, 23 and yeah, that, that's probably when it, when it all started to happen and, and get a bit out of control before I really even realised it was, um yeah, at a toxic, toxic place in a toxic uh, relationship. Like I loved them so dearly and I would do anything for them and try anything at all to, to fix and help this relationship. And, and the aftermath was that is my own emotional you know, roller coaster of what that led to. Yeah.
1: Lots of uh, personal examples of, of this profession that you're studying for actually happening to you whilst you were were learning about it. So that must've been like a really visceral sort of experience to be learning about these things that you were personally actually going through.
0: I started to have what, what was called, you know, the imposter syndrome. I, I was like, how How the hell are you supposed to do this work? How are you honestly can you do that when you're unable to help the relationship that you're in and try to fix the problems that that you have and and the relationship has if if you can't do that how the hell are you supposed to do this yeah. you know the the iron the irony is the first time I went to see a therapist and a counselor um Naturally, that that's a hard decision for a lot of people, and and one of the best ones to make. But I walked in there at a time of readiness that was just non-existent, and I went in and I sat down and I said, "I want to learn some skills to be able to help my partner." You know, and and for anyone that's been in counselling, and for any counsellor or psychologist that 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 sits in front of that type of person, is is. Okay, this is going to be challenging to realize that it's about them right. and that person that that needs to do the work the results. So I was so obsessed with with fixing and helping others that mm. I went to counselling and said, "How you know? Write me a list of things that I want I can do for them, and uh-huh. was, let's disregard all of me."
1: Yeah, so it was like a "Let me stop you right there"
0: sort of thing. Mm-hmm. He started to tell me, um, you know. Uh, you know, some hard truths. is You need to work on you. And I was like, don't be ridiculous. You, you have no idea what you're talking about. Where did you even study? You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, soon, soon, quite a while after that, I realized how right he was. And that was the biggest part of my journey is starting to really look inside myself and really find out what it was, uh, the role that I play in relationships and, and what it means to me. And the biggest thing that I found out of that is, um, you know, extreme example that I always use is, it's a thing called codependency. And to describe that, I say, if you, if you, my loved one were were cold and you asked, you know, and told me that you were cold. Now, a normal person reaction might be, all right, I'll take my jacket off and I'll keep you warm. Now, a codependent or myself for the best example is I would say in response to that, I will light myself on fire to keep you warm.
1: Yeah. So totally sacrifice yourself for what you imagine is the needs of someone else.
0: hundred percent. So, you know, the only thing that mattered is, is meeting the needs of others in order for me to gain my self-worth and my (laughs) self-esteem. And, you know, that's how I lived. And And that is my default to this day that I really have to challenge and work on and it's taken a long time to get to that point through, you know, vulnerability, intense self-awareness and just, you know, reflection on really breaking that stuff down so that I can understand how to not only be okay for me but then be able to support other people.
1: And how have you been able to overcome that depression and and anxiety and and do all that self-work? What have been the things that have really allowed you to, grow from that experience and and now be able to help people
0: the biggest thing is and the number one and the best starting point is is awareness you know if you're if you have the light off and you try to find something you're gonna struggle but when i was able to guess start to turn my light on or dim a switch and slowly bring it on and start having awareness about what it was that that was happening and the role that i play in my own life and in relationship and in um you know, just anything to do with how I interact with the world, you know, it had to start there. From there, you know, it, it's tra- it was trial and error. It was really trial and error. I, um, I lean towards coping mechanisms that are negative, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, toxic relationships. You know, if these are all your defaults and go-to, you have to really challenge and, and think about things in another way of how you're going to do this. I found yoga. And yoga was so powerful and, and all about connecting the mind and the body and really regulating myself and learning what, what was happening and going on for me. And, and I think that was the best thing I did. What I found, though, is, you know, all of a sudden I was at Bali Bali yoga retreats and, and doing yoga retreats in Sydney and then doing it every single day. Mm. And I turned it into this addiction. I right. turned it into my only way to cope. And I'm going to throw myself at it and started being, you know, bloody and yeah yeah.
1: so your ego latched on to being that guy
0: so I thought I found this saving thing that's going to help me and I'm just going to jump on it and hope that for the best and again you know like I said trial and error I had to learn how to moderate how everything needs to be taken in moderation and and find an a a good comfortable balance and you know yoga is a good example of actually finding that equilibrium with yourself and finding what's going to work and not work with you, um, that was a big part of where I started. That coupled with a lot of therapy, finding the right therapist and just being able to talk through that stuff. Um, overall, that, that that's coupling all the things that you need to do uh, are so important to find you and understand you. But from there, it's about what you do to look after that. You know that new thing that you found about yourself, or that new identity that you so now cherish. If you're not looking after yourself, if self care isn't a number one priority for you, and you have an inventory of lists of things that you need to do to stay well, then you'll fall, and and shit will spill out sideways. Yeah.
1: So it takes work. You have to be disciplined and and stay on top of it. Same as your your physical health. You have to keep working on your mental health. You know, even when you. Okay. Feel like you've found an answer that's not enough to just have a one-off and be like, okay, I'm all good forever now. <laughs> you still have to make yeah, sure yeah. you're working on it all the time. Yeah, I
0: did. You know, I did yoga that one time. I'm good now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <I> need... <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and you were working at Lifeline as well.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I guess the, the the start of that journey for me, um, in terms of getting into the work, is I I I was finishing up after my my friend died, getting close to finishing the psych degree. And I applied for my master's in counseling and psychotherapy. Um, that was the direction that I wanted to go in and really learn about the underlying parts of the mind and being able to really hold people in the space so that they can um, connect with themselves and connect with others in order for them to grow. Mm. And I thought, what's a good way to couple? I can't just study, study, study and never get the work experience. And Lifeline was the 100% the best the best option for me, someone that wanted to focus on suicide prevention. Um, so I trained and did that while I studied and and then got, got straight onto the phone. So I was working as what's called um I think I've changed the name now, but it's like a telephone support caller where you are taking phone calls, you know, and they're open twenty four seven and you do four hour shifts. So that was the start of really getting a, a good good understanding of, of people's pain and people's suffering and, and what brings and leads people to, to suicide mm. and just crisis in general, even if it's not suicide. What, what is a tipping point for people?
1: Yeah, I've got a very close friend who still works at Lifeline. He's been doing it for years and it's very heavy stuff uh, and quite... A lot of commonalities with what, why people get in that state and sort of feels as though he, he hears the similar sort of stories again and again. How did you find working for Lifeline and, and constantly being confronted with those really tough stories and having to be very careful about what you say to these people who are in this vulnerable state? And it's a very intense job to take on and a lot of people do it for free as well. So yeah, what did you notice Lots of those people had in common and how did you keep yourself from, you know, taking it on too much and getting too brought down by it?
0: So yeah, I was I was volu- I was volunteering as well. So I guess I'd i clock in at about six o'clock and do my four hour shift once a week. And you gotta be in it, you gotta be in a space. You have to be in a in a good clear headspace to to walk into that. Even just the the feel of a lifeline center is you know you're there be someone's hope for for that for the next four hours and any phone call and i think at one point quite regularly you would be the only person available to talk across the whole of australia wow that next phone call could be one that is life or death um so just just the knowledge of that being the reality i think is speaks for itself in you have to be looking after you you have to be really focused and connected into the into the work that you're doing um but yeah it's tough um they're so good at training at lifeline and they're you know they're training people that aren't in my profession they are training i used to sit next to a a minor you know that just wanted to give back you know they got to really educate people just every day average joes to do that sort of work and you know they have to encourage reflection, journaling, supervision to to keep a level head with that stuff because it, you know, it doesn't take many calls for you to go. Oh, that was a lot, and that was a yeah. big four hours.
1: Yeah, really know? full on. What were the uh, things that you often heard from people that was driving them towards being suicidal or, or really struggling in those calls?
0: I think the the big the big common factor, I mean, definitely for men is is their identity and not knowing who they are Um, and the way they respond to that is in or react to that probably more appropriate is in their loneliness and their pain and then overall overarching and binding to all that is their shame. So I'm not good enough. I don't matter. I don't deserve. I'm not worthy. All these really, really old deep-seated core beliefs mm. that we all learn from a very, very young age that play out and they're distorted the views of the self that we carry. And for those that I guess have lived with some traumas or some very difficult things that have happened in their life or run into a crisis, that's the message that's going to pop up. And that, that message is, is like a shit mate that keeps telling you you're a bad bloke. Yeah. And, and you know that's real it's relentless and that was really common it would be one of those messages mm. you like story 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 and now i'm not good enough story 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 i don't matter yeah it would be that when you connect with them in the way that they go they're they're in pain
1: yeah and so you'd see those those patterns pop up again and again um, what would you say what advice do you have to guys out there who aren't clinically trained you know they're not professionals in this field but they've got a mate or they've got a loved one who is really struggling and you know hopefully they they come to them and they open up to them but what do we say or or what do we not say How, how can we all respond in that sort of a scenario because it can happen to anyone and it's hard to know how to be prepared for it as well
0: I think it's such an important question Callum I think that's something that we're getting a lot better at and being able to understand mental health. What I will say is the, the most important thing is, is shut up. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> from a counsellor, shut up. Um, but listen, essentially, is hold all your misconceptions and, and judgments and, and beliefs about what you're doing is wrong and how could you do that to me, all that sort of shit. You, you know, just put that aside for for just now you know complain about that after to somebody else but in that moment you're there to listen and they and and you're there to to hear them out Mm. and that might not be suicidal ideation straight away but it's pain and struggling and um, grief and loss or whatever it might be you're there to listen Then from there the most important part when talking about suicide prevention is what are called invitations so if if I'm telling you right now um It's all just too much. I don't think I can go on, you know, whatever that is your threshold of, okay, that's enough. Like that's crossed my little line. Then that's that's an invitation for you to then ask this simple question, which needs practice. And it has this taboo and it's all this nonsense around like, you know, the stigma around how awkward or whatever, get over it. It's a simple question. It's just, Have you been thinking about taking your own life or have you been considering suicide you know it's it's loaded obviously but if it means that they then respond whether it's a yes or a no the worst thing that can happen is is they go yes you know the best thing i guess you know the, the the or they say no and they they give you this look like what are you talking about I'm, it's not that bad it's like cool did you lose anything from asking that Yeah. you know they go okay sorry i was a bit off on that mm. but the, the result will be that person cares a lot about me to the point where they're willing to ask me that and consider asking me that sort of thing and that's only going to bring you closer to that person so what
1: if they do yeah. say yes
0: so from there when and, and it will happen it happens a lot we have the leading cause of death between 15 to 45 year olds in suicide in australia um it's massive and mostly men so you know a lot of the time there will be a yes or there will be a, a yes or maybe or whatever it might be from there it's you got to look at your own capacity of how much you can take on at the time um it's an emotional thing it might be your closest friend might be your your family um you've got to be able to check yourself and be sure that you can I guess hold that space for them but again it comes back to that you know listen hear what they have to say um figure out where they are with it you know if it's imminent risk then every single time you're calling the police you're calling an ambulance if it's like right then and there you're getting someone to call you know that's imminent risk so immediate danger Um, And then the scale sort of bends and turns. So it's about hearing them out and listening to them, seeing who else they've told, being able to find out um, a little bit more information just by listening and, and I guess, getting some questions back to them and and seeing what support they have around them and try and encourage that sort of support.
1: Mm. Because how do you advise them or do you advise them to say, Oh, you know, and I think it, it might often put people off or people be quite uncomfortable telling others to go and, you know, see someone, go and, go and get help. I mean, that's part of the reason that we do these podcasts and that we're all in this space talking about this stuff is we want to make it more normal so more people are comfortable doing that. But uh, for someone who's not a professional to try and advise someone in that situation can be quite intimidating and, you know, they feel like they're frankly unqualified. So, is there a A time or a a way that people can tell whoever it is to go and get help from someone or can they give practical advice in that situation is it subjective or is there one thing that everyone can do other than like you know once you've assessed the situation and you've listened and you and you've done all that uh, it's like you know what what now do I call someone for them do I you know what what do we do again
0: it's it's um a big Big question with so many variables and factors i um, mean it really depends on where they're at with with their answers around it and how imminent moderate low risk i guess it is um but the i guess what i will say is is the the advice giving i don't know if you've ever received advice a lot of the time it's it's not helpful it's not asked for either mm. um and i can land poorly and you lose that connection with them so yeah and that's the
1: fear that, that everyone has in that sort of situation yeah.
0: and and it goes down the same line when we say too quickly, go and get help. Go and seek professional. It's dismissive. Yeah. It's I can't handle this because this is too much for me. It has nothing to do with them. That's too much for me. Go and seek support. Have you tried calling somebody else? Have you tried reaching out for a professional? Mm. Too soon, too soon, you know, listen to that story, hear them out a bit and, and, and try and meet their needs and ask, what, do you, what is it that you need from me? how can i support you right now from there you know your answers are really going to drive what what comes next but they're telling you for a reason or you or you've gotten them into a conversation or a connection where they're vulnerable enough and open enough and safe enough to tell you they've chosen you so why 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 you why are they telling you and that means that there's there's a lot in there so what do you need from me and how can i support you And then that answer might be, I just need you to listen to me for now and just hear me out and be there and help me and and keep me safe. All very possible within your own realms where it starts to become out of our our capacity is that's when we start to go and let them know, you know, "I I can do so much for you right now and I can support you in this way, but maybe what you're asking or what you're needing means that we need to bring somebody else into this or, you know we need to have you thought about telling your family or have you thought about um, doing this but but once that's safe enough to do so okay
1: so you really want to try and build that trust um, and show up to what they the trust that they've just put in to you and make them feel safer and make them feel like you're you're there for them and you're willing to do as much as you can and then from that point then ease into the next steps after that
0: yeah uh, yeah, and I guess I, I just want to clarify. That, you know, we're talking about you know thoughts. We're talking about thoughts of suicide. So it's it's conversational. It's not um, imminent risk. That that that's really important. Where when it, when it's imminent, we take a, a much stronger and different approach of what we can we can handle and what we have capacity for. Um, but everything else in the middle, it's it's about you know yeah exactly building that connection and and creating that safety. Um, it may mean, you know, one, we're exploring lots of those options, but it may mean just going, how can I keep you safe for now? What can we do? Maybe it's, what are you going to do for the next half an hour? Do We need to like, I guess, make some sort of um, trust or agreement or pact or contract that means that you call me in an hour and you check back in with me, or you tell me your plan, or oh, I'm going to go and have some dinner, I'm going to, you know, go and, some mindfulness and breathe and calm myself down i'll text you when i'm in bed and then i'll message you in the morning yeah. you know i'm sort of um agreed upon plan with them and that sort of thing and you know say we'll we'll, we'll continue to do this sort of thing um, moving forward tomorrow and that sort of thing and then we start bringing in the more and more support again it's that where is it at yeah where's the conversation got you it's so what not one size does not fit all mm-hmm. with this
1: Okay, yeah, so you got to be really diligent and really try to read uh, where it's at in terms of a crisis and then it's, it mostly comes down to, to listening, the listening and making sure they know that you're, you're there for them at least. I guess,
0: yeah, I guess what I will say as well is is in that break period where you're off the phone with them because they've made a agreement that they're going to go and eat or shower or calm down or whatever it might be, the amount of calls I used to take for people reaching out and asking what they can do for their for their friend yeah for their you know ring lifeline 13 11 14 and actually just say this is my situation this is where it's at and get that support you know that'll refuel your cup up to a point where you can then give out some more to somebody else
1: yeah so don't feel like you have to do it alone uh and that those services are only for the person who's Happens to be suicidal. They're also for those who are around them who need to help them. I think that's a really important point to make that you you might not think of in the moment that you can actually go and get help in a way that isn't going to feel like you're betraying that person's trust or or whatever it is, and that that's probably the responsible thing to do. That's great. They're really good points and really well explained. Um, so, why psychotherapy? Why go down that route uh, to help people versus the the other? directions that you can go in and and what have you found from working in that area that's able to have a specific impact on on men mm.
0: so um i just wanted to i just wanted to help people i just wanted to start doing the work you know and, and you can go different paths in psychology and counseling and psychotherapy and i was so keen to just do this work i don't need a title that says you know i'm a clinical psychologist or i'm a counselor or i'm a psychotherapist i just want the I guess the paper that then says I can go and do work with with clients and work with people and that was the option that I chose little did I know that as soon as I got there the first day the first workshop they they said pick a person take them into that counseling room and counsel them to which I was like what do you mean you know I've been reading this book trying to (laughs) figure out how to do it the whole time and they said go and do it you'd be surprised how much you already know and surprised how much this is that's not able to be taught, and it's just a natural yeah. thing that you're able to make with someone. Right. So, I mean, that set up my my reality of what I think about psychotherapy is. It's about the other person and you in that relationship, and I'm very, I guess, relational in, you know, like we're talking now. Like I, nothing else matters at the moment. I'm just I'm having a conversation, we're connecting, and I'm being raw and authentic with you. Yeah. Now, whoever walks through the door mm. is. Is going to get that me no matter what and that's where i think most of my therapy and, and work is and as a psychotherapist you know i choose to be that i can i can do modalities and blah 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 and all this shit you know cbt dbt all the therapies and stuff that there is out there and all the evidence and stuff like that but i you know at the end of the day no one's gonna to listen to any of that shit if you don't build a relationship and connection with them that allows them to feel safe and be held. Um, and I really found that with with psychotherapy. A lot of the roles that I've had over over the years, I find myself with a lot of um, men and boys that are you know got worlds in different different struggles. So I guess the the common denominator for all of them is 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 again that that Something's something's been happening for them. There's been a painful experience that they either don't know how to discuss or they find really challenging to discuss with certain people or you know, they've been pushed into this sort of thing. And if I if, if I sit there and, and pull out my book and start counseling this vulnerable man who's already not really feeling comfortable to be there,
1: yeah,
0: I'm gonna lose them straight away. Right. I guess the work that I do is so focused on let's just have a chat. I just want to know more about yeah, you. So
1: again, you have to just listen, build that trust like we were talking about before, because you, you can't just dump that advice and, and be telling them what to do straight away because you you haven't got to that point yet.
0: Yeah. And and I think with men actually and women, but a, a lot with men is if you, if you're, if you're vulnerable with them and, and I guess mirror and model that, then it's going to make it easier for them to be able to do that. And you know, I share a lot of my my story. I share a lot of my lived experience. I share a lot of my things that worked and didn't work um, with all my clients, and I'm very open about that. So I guess, you know, the work that I've done has has allowed me to do that sort of thing and taught me that that's okay.
1: Yeah, and I guess to- so. In in hindsight, for you now, those experiences that you went through that were really hard at the time, they've actually helped you massively now to be able to connect with and help people. And you used to question whether you were going to be able to be a, a psychotherapist or a psychologist when you couldn't deal with your own issues but actually it turns out that that is the very reason why you should be doing it so that must be uh cool for you
0: it's great i mean i you know i, I don't take myself too seriously as well so i'll, I'll run groups and i'll you know you writing stuff on the board or, or or doing a process with these guys and then just stop them and go now let's just make everything clear i am perfectly imperfect and i Fuck up all the time, and just and just leave that with them and say, "I'm not trying to tell you that I know the answer and in this perfect format and this is exactly how it things and I've never had anything go wrong since." No. It's like, you know, I'm perfectly imperfect, and that's so important to name with with people. And and I guess bringing in my story means like, you know, when I'm talking about whatever it is that I'm treating, um, anxiety, depression. Trauma, post-traumatic trauma, like it's just like, yeah, like I get it. This is this has been my experience, and does that resonate with you? And everyone's story is different, but our emotions are the same. And what helps
1: those men overcome those things and, and get better? And when do you see them really make progress and change their lives?
0: It's so different for so many. So I, I used to work for intensive statewide services for family and community service, so FACS um, or DOCS or whatever they're called now, um, and I worked with kids that were you know, uh, the most traumatised in the state. And they weren't being able to be placed with foster or anything. They were, I guess, too high risk to be in those, in those situations with placements, yeah. and that meant that they have had this inconsistency and unpredictability from the age of zero up until now. So I was, you know, I had a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old, and two 17-year-olds, I think. And they've only ever had this inconsistent experience with life where I found a lot with them, and these are young, traumatized men. You need to build with consistency. You need to be predictable for them and create a new pattern for them that is, you know, building a new attachment. And then, again, it comes back to that. I'm going to create a bond with you. where I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to reject you. And until we can feel a bit safer in that, and that takes a long time with, with, you know, very young traumatized children You know, trust is all the way over here. But until then, that's when you start to see what they can give and they'll only give what they can give. And then, you just take that just a tiny bit of that and you run with that and say i'm going to honor what you've shared with me and take take a little bit more and and get them further and further further now all the adults that i treat are just big kids they're the same you know they they have they have hard hard things that they've they've been through and they've experienced and maybe haven't known how to Regulate themselves, or come to an understanding of what what's been going on for you, and they keep getting doing the same old shit, getting the same old results. Yep. And you then offer this this different path, just a smidgen, just a little tour of this. What things can start to look like if we have this consistency, this trust, this safety that's established. And those are all big words that that men go, "Whoa! Don't say vulnerability. Don't say safety around me." Like. <laughs> so frame it in a different way, but it's like, let's just be real first. You know, Let's let's get to a point where you can ease and settle into the experience um, of counselling and, and psychotherapy in groups.
1: And where do things like consistency uh, and routine come into it for, for men a lot of the time? Uh, and also the need to fulfil a role. Uh, is that something that is really necessary, have you found for for men to feel like they have a role to fulfill and that they are capable of doing that and that they have a consistent sort of a a day or a lifestyle?
0: Um I think I think a lot of the guys that 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 rock up are are missing all of that. So their Mm. their their routine isn't there, their structure isn't there. And I work with a lot of addiction. So addiction is just causing chaos in their life and Um, The opposite of addiction is connection and these guys therefore don't have connection. So if I'm disconnected in everything that I do revolving around drugs, that's going to ripple effect into everything in my life, my job, my relationships, my well-being, my social, um, my emotional, like it just, it just cascades. So they, they end up with just this unstructured, no routine, um, survival only sort of reality and it's about slowing that person down and going here's here's where things are going wrong here's where things are not working out right now and you know take that apart slowly rather than going everything's fucked let's do it all at once yeah. it's like break it down like break, break it down you came me for this let's focus on that for now we'll get to all this other stuff as it comes
1: yeah because it's too overwhelming if it's all together so everything you do is about making it tolerable bit by bit and then building on that and expanding and before you know it the person's a a different person it's pretty amazing work it must be really rewarding for you now to be able to have that impact when you know you're someone who needed that help not too long ago
0: yeah and and recovery is is an ongoing journey they don't really say recovered um i don't it's, it's an ongoing thing. Recovery is I'm always learning, I'm always growing, I'm always challenging myself and I'm always slipping up too. So I, I'm accountable for my own actions and I'm accountable for my own choice to, to react or, or respond to things. And when I have that accountability um, and consistency with that, I'm able to go and check myself and, and that means recovery is an ongoing thing for me. And I tell everybody that. That's hard to hear. It's a hard hard thing to... To get your head around it's like well, you mean i'm not going to be better and fixed it's like no It's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing that you'll find freedom in but it will be something that you then must pursue and look after yourself we all have to do it
1: awesome man well you're definitely leading the way uh in this area and it's really cool to hear from someone who's had a, a story like you have and who's put in so much effort to wanting to make an impact, you know, because of your own experience and what you've been through, but then also just seeing the need out there and also being a, a young guy yourself who can really speak to this age group and really have that impact because you've been there and people can relate to you. And it's not about trying to be above people or or to say that, you know, I've never been through any of that myself. I'm too good for it. You know, you're really someone who has been there and has made those changes and now can help others to do that. So I think that's immensely powerful. We've got to wrap it up, but what's one thing that you would say to young men at the moment can be anything at all um, just about engaging with their health and and with each other? Is there anything you can leave us with?
0: You've got to look after yourself first. Um, The rest will come. You know, being able to help others will come. Um, being a provider and being that role that men men are meant to have in our stereotypical society is that that stuff will come and will be achievable if we're able to reflect and, and look internally into ourselves first. And the best and easiest way to start by doing that is is tap into what you really do to, to look after yourself and what you notice feels good, whether it's exercise, whether it's cooking, whether it's fishing, whatever that. Little thing is maybe it's meditation, maybe it's you know calling a friend. Is do finding what works for you and doing those things in your self care routine daily. Notice when those things aren't happening right now. Coronavirus, it's 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 we're not able to do the things that we're normally able to do. We can't go to the gym. We got to be innovative and say, well, I can't not not go to the gym, and you still need that cup to fill back up for me in my self-care so i need to think of how i can then meet it rather than i'll just not go for the next 10 weeks or whatever because you'll notice back off the path or fall out and spill out a bit sideways so self-care is look at what what works for you and what fills your cup up
1: thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing that stuff you just you know you say it in such a easily digestible real way that i think people will resonate right. with and that's obviously a, a big part of your success so keep doing what you're doing keep leading the way and let's uh stay in touch man also um just quickly just tell people what your podcast is and where they can find that
0: yep yeah, so um i have a podcast as well it's called art uh, reason with me where i talk about ideas and topics and, and different conversations that, that challenge the mind and all re, re, relate back to our connection, our mental health and our well-being. That's all across um, Spotify, all, you know, Apple podcasts, all the things. Um, and you can find me on Fine Reason Therapy. Um, I got online um, counselling, but also face-to-face counselling as well and heaps of blogs and other information that you want to get on there and access to the podcast on there as well.
1: You're a legend, man. Keep doing good work and fighting the good fight, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get there eventually. Good on you. If you got something out of this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Young Blood Podcast community Facebook group and follow Youngblood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email Podcast all one word, at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.